But tonight we are in John chapter 1, and for those of you who don't know, last week I asked you who was the author of Jonah. Who was the author of Jonah? Jonah. Okay. So tonight I got another trick question for you. The book of John, who is the author of John? Judas, yes. And Judas is not the right answer. <laughs> yeah. Jonah is not the author either. It's, surprisingly, it's John the Apostle. I know, we're a shocker. John is the author of the book of John. Yeah, mine's blown there as well. And I actually have a slide, and so I, what I want to do is I want to kind of set up John just a little bit, and then I'm going to get into it just for time's sake. Um, Eli, if you can show me that first slide that I have up here for you. So we learned that the book of John is by John. And Eli, you find it, first slide? No. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a completely different message. Yeah, there, there it is. <laughs> Anyways, it's blue. Stick with blue. All right. So as we're looking at the book of John, we're going to notice a few things. And I'm going to kind of set it up uh, here for a little bit. So for those of you who don't know, the New Testament consists of the first four books of the New Testament are Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So John is actually the fourth gospel in the New Testament. This tells you a little bit about each gospel. So Matthew shows Jesus came from Abraham through David and then demonstrates that he is the Messiah promised in the Old Testament. So you're going to see these first four books. They're going to be written in the New Testament, but they're going to be from different perspectives. So it'd be basically like if I talk about the things, if I'm walking with Jesus and I talk about Jesus and Tim's walking with Jesus and Tim talks about Jesus. And so we're both going to describe the same things, but we're going to describe them in different manners. And we're also going to see certain points that stick out to me more than it does him. So there may be certain things that you see in there. So Mark shows Jesus came from Nazareth demonstrating that Jesus is a servant. Luke shows Jesus came from Adam, demonstrating that Jesus is the perfect man. And John is actually a little bit different than these other books because John shows Jesus came from heaven, demonstrating that Jesus is God. So this is the perspective that we're going to be getting from the book of John. And it's also believed, as you kind of notice this, one of the reasons people think that John is written a little bit differently is because Matthew, Mark, and Luke have already been written. And so because they've already been written, there's no sense and there's no point repeating the same things that they already did over and over again. So he's giving people a different perspective. And not only that, his audience is different than theirs as well too. So they believe that John is the fourth gospel that's written. So what is the purpose of the book of John? And we actually, if you fast forward to John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, it tells us. And John says this while he's writing this. And I'm not going to get into why it's John. You can look into that on your own time. But it says this in John 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. So there's a lot of other signs that Jesus did that the, the, the Bible can't even contain the miracles and the things that, that Jesus did. But verse 31 tells us, but these are written so that you may believe. So the book of John is written so that the people that hear it may believe. And not only that, the people that hear it, the fellow believers as well, will continue believing. So that you may believe. So that is what John's entire message is in the book of John is so that you may believe. And this Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So in the Greek, the word Christ means anointed. So when you hear Christ, it means anointed, or it may also mean anointed one. 
So Christ was and is the Messiah and the Son of God. So that just kind of helps us understand a little bit about the book of John, uh, just building up to what it's about, what we're going to talk about. So now I'm going to go to verse 1. And we're going to look at verse 1, and like I said, this is more of kind of a teaching session tonight, uh, really understanding and diving a little deeper than maybe we normally do. So John chapter 1, verse 1, and I'm going to be reading from the ESV, and that should be what's on the screen, because all they did was copy and paste what I had on there. Um, But ESV is what we're going to be reading out of tonight, so if you're on your phone. um, So verse 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now I'm going to stop right here. Now Paul asked me to preach on this message, John chapter 1 last last night, and as I was thinking about this message, I thought I really understood what these, these scriptures were talking about. But little to my understanding, there is a lot of theological debate over this first scripture about what is John really talking about? Because I was always taught as a young age that the word was Jesus. That is what they're talking about in this scripture. And I'm going to kind of give you two perspectives on that. And regardless of whatever perspective people fall into, it all points to Jesus. Um, It's just a matter of what their thought process is. So if you look at the word, um, it says, in the beginning was the word. Like I said, as growing up, I was always taught that it was Jesus. But if you look at it in the Greek, the Greek word there is legos. So it's L-O-G-S, but it's pronounced legos or logos. And what it actually means is it means uh, speech, a word uttered by a living voice or the saying of God or the spoken word of God. And you see this a lot. You see this, and, and for instance, in Scripture, in the beginning, God said, let there be light, and there was light. So when God speaks, his word goes forth. So you cannot separate God's word from the very character and nature of who God is. And some of the things that I was kind of reading on this um, is that, so what God says becomes manifest in the flesh. So it's talking about the word of God going forth. Now, another viewpoint that we see a lot of times, which is more common, is in the Old Testament. I'm just going to read it from my paper. The word of God is often personified as an instrument of the execution of God's will. So for his Jewish readers, by introducing Jesus as the word, John is in a sense pointing them back to the Old Testament where the Lagos, word of God, is associated with the personification of God's revelation. Therefore, his Greek readers that use these terms Lagos would have likely brought forth the idea of mediating between the principle of God and the world. So John presents Jesus Christ not as a mere mediating principle like the Greeks perceive, but a personal being fully div- divine yet fully human. So John is speaking to his audience in this situation. You guys can go and you can research that more on your own time um, and just kind of see what some commentaries and look at some stuff in the Greek as well. But verse 3 tells us this, all things were made through him. So everything that, that God has is made through God. So the spoken word of God is made through. When God speaks, let there be light, guess what? There was life. So all things were made through the word of God. And without him was not anything made that was made. You know, if you think about in our culture and our society today, what we think a lot of times is we like to think that we build stuff, that we make stuff, that I did this, I accomplished this. But as people, there is nothing that we can do or make that hasn't already been made. Does that make sense? 
Like, whatever you make, like, it's, there's already something created for you to be able to make that from. So I can't make anything out without something that's already made. So it's been sp- spoken. So verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. So we're talking about John the Baptist here, um, not, not John the author, the apostle. But there was a man sent from God named John. And I don't know about you guys, but did you know that God sends men and God sends women to help proclaim his name to people? And that's something as we, we really begin to think about, God sends people, and there's people in this room that God's sending to your schools, God's sending to your job, God's sending to your friends, he's sending you to, he's sending people to proclaim his name. And John's specific perfect purpose was to proclaim the name of Jesus and prepare the way for him. And verse 7 says this, And he came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. Through him, He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. When I think about this scripture here, as I was just kind of thinking about it, how often do we forget what our purpose is? You know, God may send us forth to do something. God may send us forth to to talk about people. But eventually, the very thing that we're going forth, we begin to take a lot of pride and a lot of passion. And there's nothing wrong with having passion for what you do. But I've seen a lot of times my friends that that have been younger than me, they go into ministry. And they start teaching, they start preaching, and they get the praise, and they get the pat on the backs about how wonderful they are and how great they are. And pretty soon their purpose in the beginning is to glorify God, but after a while it's like, I need words of affirmation. I need you to pat me on the back, and it becomes about me. And we we as Christians, we have to understand what is our purpose. What is the reason for us um, is to bear witness of the light. And verse 9 tells us this, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Parents, think about this. Think about your children. What do you think would happen? What would, how would you feel one day if you just woke up and your children had no clue who you were? You created them, they came from you, and you loved them, and you cared about them, and yet they didn't know who you were. And that's what he's saying. It, it was saying right here in that verse that the, yet the world did not know him. God's creation, God's creatures did not know who he was. 11 tells us, and he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Not only they did not know him, they didn't receive him. They rejected him. But to all did not receive him with, who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood or of the will of flesh nor the will of man but of God. And this also reminds us, too, here uh, about God's grace for us as Christians. And Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one could boast. There's nothing that we can do. Blake Weaver, there's nothing special about Blake Weaver. It's when the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside Blake's Weaver and he begins to work through Blake's Weaver. That's when then my life begins to have meaning, not because it's something that I have done. And verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And I know I'm kind of stopping a lot here tonight to break this stuff down for us. And, I, and towards the end, I probably won't do it as much, maybe. 
<laughs> but this past week we started at the church, we started our discipleship program um, for n- new converts, new people, whatever you want to call them. I'm still working on a name. I'm thinking maybe foundations. I don't know what I'm going to call it yet. But anyways, the new class that we started um, that we're leading on Sunday mornings is a six-week course to help people understand more about what it is in their faith. And one of the things that we talked about is why this was important. When he makes this statement, flesh dwelt among us. Because you have to understand, back, th- back then, Jewish people or anybody during this time had a hard time thinking that God, creator of the sun, moon, and stars, would come down to the earth as a man. I mean, think about it. In your own mind, why would God even feel the need to reconcile man to him? Like, why? why? He's God. He, he doesn't need anything. He doesn't need my worship. He, doesn't, he, he wants it, but he doesn't need it. Why would God do that? And John, and as, and John 4, 2 tells us this. By this you know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is from God. And so Jesus was both fully God, and he was fully man. And this is what we talked about to the people this past week. To help them understand that Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. Because we have a high priest who, who it says, the Bible says, we, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our needs. So Jesus wept. Jesus was hungry. Jesus was tired. Jesus was weary. And you see these scriptures throughout the Bible talking about that Jesus was actually fully God and fully man. And we have seen his glory and the glory of the Son, the Father, full of grace and truth. And I'm going to stop here again. I know I'm stopping a lot. <laughs> but that's, this is something that's important in our own lives. Full of grace and full of truth. Now, I think a lot of times, when, for instance, when you think about specific people, some people are full of grace, but they're not full of truth. And then you have other people that are just full of truth. <laughs> like they just say what they think, they say what's going on in their life, and they have no grace with it. And a lot of times, what Jesus is right here, Jesus is not only full of grace, but he's full of truth. And we as believers, we have to fully understand when it's time to speak truth and when it's time to show grace. And sometimes speaking truth is grace as well, um, also for us in life. So that's something for us, and that's something for me to work on. I think all of us in this room probably maybe lean one way or another. So verse 15, John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he has was before me. For from his fullness, we have received the grace upon grace and God, the only God who is the father's side has made him known. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, so John's being interrogated here, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Hey, guys, here's to let you know, I'm not the Christ here. And they, and they asked him, I lost my place. They asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not Elijah. Are you the prophet? He said, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I'm the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. And I just imagine him just yelling this. Like, I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Like, you know, I see him being real dramatic right here. Make straight the way of the Lord. And the prophet Isaiah said. So John is explaining to them who, he is, he, who he's not and what his purpose is. And now they had been sent from the Pharisees and they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah the prophet? And Jesus answered them, I baptize you with water, but among you stands one you do not know. 
And one of the things that the, over this past year the Lord really kind of showed to me and revealed to me, and another thing that we're going to talk about, I think, a little bit in our, in our discipleship class is baptism. And baptism is simply this. It's immersion in water. And what it is is it's an outward expression of an inward change. And baptism always comes at the point of belief. So as Christians, when you become a believer, you, God asks for you to be baptized. So in Acts 2.38, Peter says this, Repent of your sins and be baptized. Can I tell you a quick little story here? I personally have been baptized twice. And that's twice. I got it twice. I could, twice. I've been baptized twice. And let me tell you why. So when I was younger, I said the sinner's prayer. I asked Jesus into my heart. And I was a pretty good kid. But as I got older, I strayed away from the Lord and wanting nothing to do with him. And so I became a Christian at age 17. And so immediately my life was transformed, I believed, and the Lord just completely transformed me. He changed me. And in my heart, I was like, well, I had already been baptized. I don't need to be baptized. Again, and so through the, I started serving in churches and, and helping out with youth and doing different things. And every so often I would just get this unction like, hey, you need to get baptized. And I'm like, no, I've already been baptized. I'm fine. And so I would go again, and then I would go down later, and I would get this unction, hey, you need to get baptized. And I'm like, no, I'm fine. And this went on for like two years. And finally I came to the place where I was like, okay, I don't want to get baptized, but I keep having this unction and feeling like I'm supposed to get baptized. Maybe I should finally just get baptized again. So two years later after being saved, I got baptized again. Now, I'm not saying everybody has to be baptized twice, but I know for my own life, baptism came after belief. And I truly believe the Holy Spirit was nudging me to make an outward expression of an inward change. And if you read some the books, there was a, there's a book about, I can't re, uh, remember what it's called, but it's about in Muslim countries where these people, literally at night, they will risk their lives going into the freezing cold water, knowing if they get caught, they could be killed just so they could, they could be baptized in water. Now, baptism itself does not save you, but it's an outward expression of an inward change. And so I challenge you, if you've never been baptized in your own life, uh, begin to pray and ask the Lord, hey, what do you want me to do in this area? And I truly believe he'll, be, he'll speak to you. Verse 27 says, Even when he comes after me, the strap whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, these things took place in Bethany across from the Jordan where John was baptizing. And I think as I'm thinking about this, your whole life, if there's, if there's ever been something in your whole life that you've been leaning up toward, that you've been working towards, that your goal is, John's entire purpose is to make the way the straight, make the path straight for Jesus. That is his entire goal. And so here you have John as a grown man, and then verse 29, your whole life, life everything that you've been working for, your entire purpose in existence leads up to this point for John. And it says this, the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John's been talking about him. He's been teaching about him. And he's, here comes Jesus on the scene. What a moment you think that would have been for John. As he was going and he just begins to see Jesus. The awe, the excitement, and everything that he's thinking in his own mind. Verse 30 says, This is he whom I said after me comes a man who ranks before me. Because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel, and that John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, 
But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who is baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness of this. This is the Son of God. This had to have been quite a scene. I, I would, if, if I wanted to see something in John's life, I would, I would love to see what was happening during this time. And so Jesus, he begins to call his disciples. Verse 35, the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked in Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the lamb of God heard the say the behold, the lamb of God, the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus just took two of his posse. (laughs) Think about that. John has his disciples. They see Jesus. He says, behold the Lamb of God. John's disciples are gone. They're following Jesus. And if you think about it, sometimes it's, you know, maybe in the ministry or wherever you may be, God may call your people elsewhere. And that teaches us a valuable lesson here that we have to allow people to step into the call that they have that God has for them in their own life. Because John, John doesn't say, hey, guys, come back. There's no need. John says, hey, That's what I've been talking about. You're following him. Go pursue him. And we as Christians should take that in our own mind, the thought process of pursuing Jesus. And I also think about in this situation, why didn't the other disciples follow Jesus in this instance? Why did they not pursue him? Only two of them went because I'm sure John had other disciples. But these two recognized Jesus and they began to go after him. Verse 38, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, we are you staying. And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where it was staying and they stayed with them that day. For it was about the 10th hour and one of the two heard John speak and followed Jesus. It was Andrew, Simon, Peter, brother. And he first found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is Peter. So Jesus calls Philip and Nathaniel. um, And I'm getting ready to close here in a second as we've kind of gone through this. Um, The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. And I think this is an interesting statement. And this really kind of speaks... Uh, to maybe some people that are you're more involved in ministry or you've starting to grow more in your walk with Christ and people are coming up underneath you and I want to kind of tell you a quick little story I was at Paul's house a few weeks back um, and I was sitting me and him and another guy were sitting there talking and he just got really passionate about how it was the disciples responsibility to make sure the disciple pursues the lord and to walk with him and help him and and help and help that person grow in their walk with christ and as i as i was sitting there kind of thinking i i don't disagree with the fact that a discipler should help the person being discipled but when you read scripture and you really begin to study it that is not the model that jesus really gives us jesus says right here come and follow me and what do i mean by that I mean by the simple fact is you can't make somebody do something they don't want to do. It doesn't matter how bad you hound them. It doesn't matter how much time you spend with them. If they don't want to do it, they're not going to do it. Let me give you an example. Uh, When I was younger, I was leading a ministry out out of my parents' house. And I had a friend of mine, and I would always pray, God, you know, help. I would love to disciple somebody. I would love to raise somebody up. And my friend came to me one day and said, hey, Blake, I want you to disciple me. 
I said, okay, cool, dude. I would love, I'd be happy to disciple with you. So we got us some times to meet. So first time we met, went real well. Said, hey, you know, this is what I want you to do. I want you to start reading your word. I want you to start studying the word. Well, he'd come back next week. Didn't read his word, didn't study the word, did anything. And so for like two months, me and him kind of had this back and forth. And then he would start to text me, hey, Blake, what I want you to do is, hey, do you mind coming to my house and we can do discipleship at my house? And after a while, I got fed up with it. And I said, and and I began to pray about it. And I I was like, God, what is your model for discipleship in the scripture? And the Lord began to kind of show me some things uh, about discipleship. And And I had a conversation with him. And I said, dude, I love you. I want to see you grow. I want to help you. But I can't make you want this. You are going to have to want this. And we had a conversation about what this looked like between the two of us. And then after we had this conversation, about a week or so was kind of rough and rocky. But then all of a sudden, something switched in his mind. And he began to read the scripture. And I told him, I said, the true discipleship is not going to be coming from me. It's going to be coming from you getting in God's word. And the Holy Spirit's going to begin to work on your life. And as he began to do that, I began to notice his speech change. I began to know the things that he talked about change. And how, he, how we interacted. Everything that his whole mentality switched. And we see this where Jesus says, come and follow me. And we also have this. And I don't know if you guys know this, but Jesus actually had disciples leave him. At certain points. Jesus had more than 12 disciples. And John 6, 66 through 67 says this. And Jesus teaches this teaching. And a lot of these people don't like it. And says after this many of his disciples turned back. And no longer walked with him. So this is Jesus' response. He just had many of his disciples turn back. They walked away from him. And he turns to his 12 and Jesus said to him. The 12. Do you want to go away as well? (laughs) Like that's his response. Because it goes back to the point when you're discipling somebody, when you're trying to pour into somebody's life, you can't make them want something that they themselves do not want. And so just kind of as we close, as, as like I said, tonight's more of a teaching. It's not really as much of a preaching type session. I'm going to just kind of read the last few verses here to close John chapter 1. Um, verse 44 says this, Now Philip was from Bethsaida, a city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come from Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said to him, Behold an Israelite indeed who there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, you were under the fig tree, and I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Uh, this guy was very easily impressed. <laughs> I mean, that's all Jesus said. Was, hey, I saw you under the fig tree, and he's, his mind is blown from this, from this remark. Um, so he's very easily imp- impressed. You will see greater, and he says, verse 50, Jesus answered, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? Even Jesus is a little amazed by this. You will see greater things than these. And he said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So church, I just want to close this in prayer tonight um, as we kind of continue going through the book of John and just really kind of dissecting it. And our goal for this is as we, we go through these books is that you would go back and read them yourselves and really study God's word. 
Because even, even when I come up here to teach or Paul or Dave or whoever's up here teaching, I, I like teaching because I learn something. I learn stuff as well. And that's how I've grown. And I don't know about you guys, but if you've teached before, like you say something and you're like, man, that was really good. And you're like, I don't know where that came from. I, I, I've never thought of that before. And sometimes you just want to stop, but you're up here and you can't. And, but what I want you guys to understand is the word of God is so important in your life. The word of God cannot return void. It's the spoken word that God has given us to his people. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for tonight. Lord, I just ask you to just be with us as we begin to go through this book that you would just begin to speak to our hearts and speak to our minds. As we begin to look at what your word has to say and we begin to discover the nature and character of you, Jesus. Lord, I just ask you to just begin to speak to us in such a mighty, powerful way. Lord, I just pray that you begin to transform our hearts, begin to transform our lives in such a powerful way. God, we just love you, and we thank you for all that you're doing in this church. And we just ask you that you bless every single person here. In Jesus' name, amen.